It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. Hello to all you podcast listeners. It's the start of a new year and time to hit the refresh button on your life. For the next 10 weeks, every Monday, we're bringing you something really special. One of the great spiritual thinkers of our time, Eckhart Tolle and I, are giving you a chapter-by-chapter class on what I believe is his groundbreaking masterpiece, Eckhart's best-selling book, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. This book resonated with me in such a profound way. I truly think that it's the most important book I've ever read. It's changed the way I live my life, so much so that I always have a copy on my nightstand because I constantly give myself a refresher course. And now more than ever, we need to create what Eckhart calls a new earth inside our personal lives, in our communities, and the world. Give it a listen, and over 10 episodes, you too will be opened up and learn how to quiet your mind, get your ego in check, live a fully more present life. We're talking deep, big picture, even delving into consciousness and the reason why we're all really here. My greatest hope is that Eckhart's quiet wisdom and patient teachings will resonate with you as they have with me. Each podcast episode will start with my conversation with Eckhart about a chapter, and then Eckhart answers questions from people who are reading along in the book. So I encourage you to get your own copy of A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, and join us for a thrilling, enlightening, and spiritual experience every Monday for the next 10 Mondays. It's a new year, hopefully a new you, and a new earth. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Hello, Super Solars. Welcome to class number three of Eckhart Tolle's magnificent book, A New Earth. I got to tell you, this is my first favorite chapter. I have lots of favorite chapters, but this is my first favorite chapter. So this is what I believe, if you didn't read another page, that if you just read chapter three in this book, it could really transform your life. So today, we continue our discussion of the ego with chapter three. It's called The Core of the Ego. Eckhart is gonna talk more in depth about what activates the ego, how to become more aware of the ego, and above all, 
how we can transcend it. I mean, you really can learn to stop it in its tracks for yourself and also become so aware when it's showing up in other people. So onward to chapter three, transformational it is. Again, I thank you, Eckhart Tolle, thank you for joining us. Today's lesson, chapter three, beginning on page 59, the core of the ego. Most people are so completely identified with the voice in the head, the incessant stream of involuntary and compulsive thinking, and the emotions that accompany it, that we may describe them as being possessed by their mind. My question to you, if we are not that constant stream of thinking, then who are we? Now, that question usually would be answered by the mind by giving some kind of concept of who we are. Now, yes, I am female. This, that. I'm African American. Yes. I work on TV. Yes. My mother was. My mother is. Yes. I live at. That's my job that. is. Yes. yes. That's how most people, if you say, who are you? Yes. But beyond that, because concepts refer to who we are temporarily in the world of form. You're a mother, you're a father, you have a certain profession, a certain, belong to a certain race, you're a man or a woman, nationality, all these things. Now, when you ask, who are we beyond that, there is no conceptual answer to that. that would, uh, no conceptual answer would be absolutely correct. We can give little hints. We can say, we are the formless consciousness behind all that. Mm. We are that which cannot be defined mm. through concepts or words. So knowing who you are is not, does not mean that suddenly you have some new idea in your head and say, oh, now I'll let me tell you who I am. I've discovered who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, you get closer to knowing you, who you are if you come to a stage where you have that feeling, and I mention it in the book somewhere, you, when people tell me, I don't know who I am anymore, because they have realized who they are not. Mm -hmm. They are ultimately not their profession. They are not whatever function they fulfill. They are not their nationality. So they now, they're beginning to realize that's not really who I am. But then they, they, they enter the unknown and say, well, if I'm not that, now I'm no longer sure who I am. And I always congratulate people when they say, I'm not sure who I am anymore. And I say, Well, that you, usually connotes confusion. Confusion, if you still want to know who you are. But if you can become comfortable with not knowing who you are, mm -hmm. with not defining yourself mm -hmm. to yourself or to others, mainly to yourself, because the ego is constantly a self-definition. To remind yourself who you are, you remember your story of your past and mm -hmm. so on. You, do, you have opinions about yourself. And so you, this is the self-definition. But Letting, don't we obviously need the ego, Eckhart? Don't we obviously need it? Otherwise, why would we have it? Why wouldn't we have evolved past it? That's, we're doing that now. Mm -hmm. So it's been a stage in the evolution of consciousness, a necessary stage in the evolution of consciousness. For survival. Yes, yes. Because? The ego arose because we started to think. So the ability in humans, suddenly humans develop the ability to differentiate and to think. To me, the beginning of the Old Testament really describes the beginning of the ability to think, because what it says in the Old Testament is they ate of the 
fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, the ability to say this is good, this is bad, to differentiate, starting to think. Mm -hmm. So the ability to think arose in our species, which was a wonderful thing on the one hand, but over many, many millennia, hundreds of thousands of years, more and more our original sense of connectedness with life and with being, which the natural world still has, animals mm -hmm. still have that. They, they live in a state of natural some cultures connected. did. Some of ancient cultures, Americans. that's right. Yes. They still have that, a sense of being rooted, being comfortable in your own skin, being rooted deeply within and feel that sense of oneness with the totality of life, oneness with life itself. Mm -hmm. And so we, we had, humanity had that once, and as you say, some ancient cultures, perhaps there's still remnants of ancient cultures, and they still have that. Mm -hmm. and, but humans, as they went into more and more thinking and differentiation, they gradually, their sense of self gradually moved from from the center of their being, which I would describe as their heart or the solar plexus, into their mind. Into their mind. And they more and more they began to identify with the movement of thought. And gradually, out of this continuous identification with the movement of thought, a thought-made entity was produced, which is the ego. Yeah, which is what you're saying is being possessed by our mind. Yes. Okay by being possessed by our minds. Okay, you say this is the egoic mind, and we call it egoic because there's a sense of self, of I, in every thought, every memory, every interpretation, opinion, so forth. And this is unconsciousness, spiritually speaking. Yes, because you, you identify with thought rather than being identifying with the, your inner essence, which is what we lost, which is the state of Eden or paradise, as it's described in, in the Bible. The Bible. We lost that, and it's not only in the Bible, there are many ancient cultures where they speak of the golden age that we lost in many different cultures. And you say egos are all the same on the surface. They only, uh, they differ only yeah. on the surface. Deep down, they're all the same. Yes. Okay. Now, chapter three is all about the core of the ego, what makes it thrive. Yes. And you say that what we react to in another, we strengthen in ourselves. Can you give us an example of that? One of the things the, ne the ego needs to survive is reacting against other people. What you react to in another, you strengthen in yourself, you say. Yes, that's uh, usually what we react to most strongly in others and what we most strongly condemn in others is usually something that we also have, a trait that we also have, but that we are unconscious of in ourselves. So when we, for example, we become upset if we encounter somebody who is very greedy, Mm -hmm. uh, or we could become upset about somebody who is uh, uh, dishonest, no matter who. The, what, the, the force of your reaction usually tells you uh, that the, the, something in you the, you need to look at. Really? All the time? All the time? Well, it's for you to find out or any, anybody to find out in their own lives. When you react strongly, you have to then become alert and have a look inside. Okay, you say complaining is one of the ego's favorite strategy, strategies for strengthening itself. Every complaint is a little story the mind makes up that you completely believe in. Yes. 
Now that's a very common thing and perhaps un until people begin to become more aware... And some egos survive on complaining. Some egos who haven't got much else to identify with, they can survive on complaining alone. So then the continuously you are condemning other people, you're continuously criticizing, condemning, or n judging negatively situations that you're in, your surroundings, other people. So the ego is the identification with those thoughts. It's not necessarily the thought. No, it's the, it's the, it's the thing that you become, uh, you become those thoughts. Okay. You're, you're, there's no space between you and the thought. Got that. Okay. All right. So name-calling is also a form that the ego yes. finds itself. Yes, and that, of course, one would, could say, well, it's relatively harmless. On, on one level, it's relatively harmless to, to, uh, to, to call a person this or that, to attach a label to a person. But if you follow this up to see, you can, you can actually see how dreadful it is to label another human being or another a group of human beings. Because once you have labeled, you've attached a mental label to another human being, you, can, you have desensitized yourself to the aliveness and the humanity of that other human being because you're relating now to a label. So if you say he's a, whatever it may be, he's a communist, he's this, he's that, any, any label, and immediately, instead of sensing the aliveness of that human being and have some empathy with that, you have cut yourself off and you have a label in chapter four, you talk about that, that role playing, how we do it in temporary ways. I'm the, you know, I'm the person who's going in the yes. store, I'm the customer, and there's That's the clerk. Another, yes. The person who labels himself the clerk, and I'm the customer. There's a certain defined behavior that we have. Yes. yes. And then when it's done collectively, the labeling, when an entire nation labels another nation in a yeah. certain way. Yeah, or I'm the boss and you're the janitor. Yes. Or you're my subordinate. Yes. yes. All these are forms of mental labeling. Mm -hmm. So. They all, any kind of mental label that you are completely identified with desensitizes you to the humanity of the, and then of the other human being. Okay. And then all kinds of things are possible, even violence becomes possible. Okay, I got it. Everybody, I just got this. You got this. What you're saying here is you're labeling people as he's a jerk or he's a whatever. Once you start doing that, you become desensitized to who they really are in the same way that you were when you were labeling things in nature. Yes. But, okay, we were talking earlier about the, the ego loves complaining, first of all, loves to believe, loves to identify with the thoughts in the head and believe those thoughts, and loves to complain. But aren't there some things legitimately worth complaining about? You know, you, you know anybody who's ever gone into house construction at some point or another is told a story by the construction workers, unless you have the most amazing, you know, that this is going to be finished at a certain time or it's going to be a certain price, and then it does, often doesn't turn out to be what you expected. That's a complaint a lot of people have. Yes. Isn't that legitimate? Yes. Like you talk in the book about, my soup is cold. Yes, in a and restaurant. Yeah, in a restaurant. My yes. soup is cold. Sometimes your soup is cold. That's right. Yes. So first of all, the complaining that we are talking about mainly here, the egoic complaining, most of that fulfills no real purpose because mm -hmm. it's not meant to bring about change in any situation. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's so, complaining and resentment complaining. Yes, it, that, and a lot of it for many people happens only in the head. Sometimes right. they verbalize it also, but a lot of the complaining happens in the head alone. 
but no matter whether they verbalize it or whether the complaining happens in the head alone, in probably 90% of the cases, it has no real purpose because it's not meant to bring about change. Mm -hmm. It's meant to strengthen the ego. I see that. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, of course, that. as there are situations, of course, where something needs to be said in order to bring about change in the situation. And that's a completely different kind of complaining where you say something in, so that change can happen. For example, the cold soup in the restaurant. You say, right. the soup is cold, please bring me hot soup. Mm -hmm. That's fine. You could call that also complaining. And there are also two ways of, as far as this kind of complaining is concerned, that is connected to a real situation and is meant to bring about change. Mm -hmm. There's one way of complaining with, with ego in that situation also. And that is when you, the ego is attempting to make somebody wrong. A personal element comes into it and it is a negativity that flows into to it. To make somebody wrong because my soup is cold. Yes. The, Damn it. That's right. Yeah. You're personalizing it. Mm -hmm. And so you're making a, another person almost, one could say, into an enemy when right. you complain in that way. So whether it's somebody who is a builder who is working on your home, there, and so you, there is a way of complaining. I wouldn't even perhaps call it complaining, of simply stating what the situation stating is. Stating the facts. Yes, without the negativity that flows into it when the ego does it. Mm -hmm. And so that can be practiced. And it's the, whatever you are stating in order to bring about change is actually going to be much more effective mm -hmm. if it's done without the negativity. Because if it comes with negativity, it provokes a negative reaction in the other. And so the whole situation then becomes a conflict situation. As you say, see if you can catch, that is to say, notice the voice in the head. Perhaps I'm on page 64, everybody, second paragraph. Perhaps in the very moment it complains about something, recognize it for what it is, the voice of the ego. And then later you say, the moment you become aware of the ego in you, this is mid-paragraph, it's strictly speaking no longer the ego, but just an old conditioned mind pattern. Yes, because ego means you're not aware of it. So ego means unconsciousness. So a good thing that people can ask themselves when they become aware of this complaining voice in the head or the verbalized complaining voice, is this meant to bring about change in the situation? And if they look at it clearly, they, often they will say no. No, it's just hearing myself complain. Yes. Because it keeps fueling my sense of righteousness. Yes. And, and, and rightness. And what the complaining voice also loves is to get confirmation from somebody else that, yes, you're, you're right to complain. So then two people join. Oh, yeah. And then you just fuel it. <laughs> on and on and on and yeah. on. And yeah. love it. That's right. Doris from outside of London, uh, England. Doris, what's your question? Hello. Hi, Oprah. Hi, Eckhart. Hello. The book resonated very deeply within me, I must say. And uh, reading the on, on page 62, the, sec the first paragraph, resentment is the emotion that goes with complaining. It started the question within me, and I thought, like, but where do hurt feelings belong to? Is this something that my ego tells me to feel, or where do they come from, Eckhart? Can you give a situation, an actual situation? It's always easier to talk about this when you can look at an actual situation where, for well, example, her, you experience... Hurt feelings, you know, can have, most of the time, is some outside. Either way, somebody is telling you something that hurts you personally. Okay. But 
what about sadness? You know, you lose a person or, you know, hurt feelings come from many different sources. Where do they come from? Yes. How do they relate to the ego? Thank you. Okay. Okay. So uh, often it happens that um, even, let's say, somebody criticizes you mm -hmm. and you feel hurt mm -hmm. because perhaps uh, you had, were attached to what you were doing and you right. feel hurt. Now, what is it in you that feels hurt? And yes, it is the ego that feels hurt. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, all you do is, first of all, you, you can't say, oh, I shouldn't be feeling hurt and I shouldn't have an ego. It doesn't work. You simply accept that this yeah. is what you are feeling right now and you recognize what it is in you that is producing Ah, okay, it just is take a, it in. It's a mental image of yourself that has become hurt. Because most people think of themselves as, as good people. Mm -hmm. or, and if somebody says you're no good, immediately something feeds. And many people get extremely angry. They're not only hurt. For many people, that immediately turns into anger. Uh, and so the ego wants to immediately defend itself, even driving in traffic. Right. Often, let's say, you're driving, and another driver suddenly calls you idiot. That hurts. On one level, it hurts. It hurts the ego. And usually, immediately, the ego goes into self-repair mode, as I call it, mm -hmm. and will shout something back in order to repair itself. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm laughing at you because, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if somebody calls me an idiot, uh, when somebody gave me the finger once, and I was like, gee, that's... gave me the finger. Uh, <laughs> But I don't think I, I don't remember being hurt about it. I was so stunned by it. But but but, but yeah. Other, many people would be hurt. Yeah. But you were not because you were. You I were thought what, what, what a bad day he's having. Yes, you were yeah. in touch with the deeper level of yourself where nothing is hurt. Yeah. It, it, you can't be hurt on or, that or level. When I used to take taxis all the time, when I'd have a taxi driver in a really bad mood, the worse he if he was in a horrible mood, I would tip him double extra. So they'd be nicer for the next person. <laughs> really? That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> there was even there's a, a story about a, a, an official in Japan, a high government official, went to see a Zen master, and he asked the Zen master, "Can you explain to me what the self is? Self really means mm. ego, because there's talk about the self in Buddhism. Can you explain to me what the self is?" And the Zen master said, "What a stupid question is that? Why you ask me such stupid questions?" And immediately, the, the government official said, how dare you talk to me like that? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> and the master said, that's the ego. That's the ego. Yeah. All right, really. got it, <laughs> got it. Now, this, this person got hurt, but in him, it, he, immediately the hurt turned into anger. So anytime you have hurt feelings, that is your ego? Yes. yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, you say here also, uh, Doris, on page 65, he says, a long-standing resentment is called a grievance. To carry a grievance is to be in a permanent state of against, and that is why grievances constitute a significant part of many people's ego. Collective grievances can survive for centuries in the psyche of a yeah. nation, we know that, yes. or tribe, and fuel a never-ending cycle of violence. And so yeah, I guess all of us need to ask, what are the grievances yes. that we allow ourselves to carry? Yes. Yeah, family grievances. Families. That, that carry on and you don't even, you forget why you're carrying the grievance. Yes, yes. personal grievances, family grievances, grievances between tribes, religious groups, nations, and so on, dreadful. 
And so are you saying no grievance has a justification, that all, all grievances are based in the, as the core of the ego? It's an essential part of the ego to hold grievances. The ego keeps itself alive. That's one of the ways in which the ego keeps itself alive. You also say on page 66 here, Doris, don't try to let go of the grievance. Trying to let go to forgive does not work. Forgiveness happens naturally when you see that it has no purpose other than to strengthen a false sense of yourself. Forgiveness happens yeah. when you realize that being resentful is only to build up your ego, that yes. that resentment is only helping you carry around this false sense of who you are. I got that. I got that. You got that, Doris? And yes, I got it, too. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> you got it, too. Good. All the way in London, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All the way over here, thank you. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You say ego takes everything personally. Back to what Doris was saying earlier. Ego takes everything personally. Emotion arises, uh, defensiveness, perhaps even aggression. Are you defending the truth? No, the truth in any case needs no defense. Yeah. Yes. So when people argue, usually an argument, often arguments turn into violence. If people are very unconscious, and many mm -hmm. of you still are, arguments turn into violence. Mm -hmm. so, so when people argue about something, usually what happens is they are so identified with their opinion... Of on, being right. Yes, being right, their mental position, uh -huh. that any questioning of their mental position, of their opinion or their viewpoint, is regarded as an attack mm -hmm. on them. 
Yeah. And this is how the ego gets confused with who you are. You know, I will tell you a funny story that I was reading this book and Stebbin and I were at dinner, just the two of us, talking about what are the most important questions in life. And I said, I said, one of the, I think, I believe one of the most important questions in life is to, to believe whether the universe is compassionate or not compassionate. And he said, well, I disagree with you. I think the most important thing is whether or not you know how to work on your strengths. And I go, well, that's ridiculous, because the most important thing is, do you believe that whether the universe is compassionate or not? So we're arguing about whether or not the universe is compassionate or not compassionate. And he didn't agree with my, my view. And I said, well, you know, I know I'm right. I ended up clearing the table, leaving the table, and going upstairs, because <laughs> I don't want to have the conversation anymore. And, uh, you know, a half an hour passes. He comes up and he says, OK, you're right. You're right. And I go, never mind. I don't need to be right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to be right. And then I realize that, yes, that is exactly what happened. Yes. My ego is arguing because it is defending its right to be right. Yes. Yeah. Identification with a mental position, with a concept in the head. Yes. Can happen so easily. Right. And we're talking about compassionate issues yes. or non-compassionate issues. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, my friend Kadada Jones, uh, who I was at uh, her father's birthday party, and we started talking about a new earth, and she had so many questions. And here you are. Hello, Kadada. Hi, Eckhart. Hi, Oprah. How are you? Hi. And your question? Okay, my question is, this book hits me really, really deep in my heart, and I know it to be the truth, but I have such resistance, and I feel like if everything in form is an illusion, it feels really disenchanting. And I'm at a point in my life where I have goals, I'm excited about my career, I want to have kids, I want to meet a great partner. And if it's all illusion, where's the fun? Uh, there's... Not my ego. <laughs> you are not meant to believe that all is illusion. You're at a stage in your life where you can simply enjoy the play of form. Eventually, you will come to a point, as every human does, where the, the forms in your life are, are no longer are completely satisfying. They leave a certain emptiness, they leave a frustration, but you haven't reached that point yet, that's fine. In the meantime, you enjoy your life, be as present as you can, which means don't project yourself continuously into some future moment that promises you more and greater fulfillment. If that happens, and if you can't help it, that's mm -hmm. fine, too. Mm -hmm. But why not enjoy this moment as it is, really? Mm -hmm. That's all you can do. This is not to take the joy out of life. It's to really deepen the way in which you live, rather than living on the surface of things and expecting fulfillment through super, relatively superficial things. Mm -hmm going deeper to a place where true joy resides. I know. I think that's a good question, though, that you, you raise, Kadada, especially uh, I've heard this from a lot of people your age who say, so now where is ambition? Ambition is ambition my ego? Good question. You want to hit career strides. You want to see things happen. You're excited to meet somebody. You're going to have a baby that you're going to be madly in love with. And then I hear Eckhart's voice. And I have to remember my ego, remember that it's form, and it just kind of makes me feel a little unexcited. But I guess it's about being in the moment, so. No, there comes a point <laughs> when you can see the truth of this very clearly in your own life. Uh -huh. Until you can see the truth of it very clearly in your own life, in your own life, 
the book remained on the conceptual level. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't say that there's anything in the book that you should believe in. Mm -hmm. If the book works for you, the truth of it is immediately recognized as a sense of, ah, yes. But at 20, I would not have understood the truth in this book. I had ambitions. I wanted to become a great professor. I wanted to be seen as to be successful. I wanted to show to the world that I can make it. So I was working hard. If at that point I had read this book, I would have said the same as you. I don't want this right now. <laughs> I don't need this. Mm -hmm. The book really, as long as you feel that you don't really need it, it's fine. You should carry on with what you're doing. I don't even hear her saying she doesn't need it. I think... I totally need it. I totally know that this book is real and true. It's really, really, really important for me to figure out how to integrate consciousness into this next chapter. I want to approach it in a very conscious way. But there's still probably a little part of me, a lot of part of me, that's gripping on to the form. I live in Los Angeles. I'm in a business where form is at the forefront. It's kind of a hard balance. I'm just wondering how do you reap the fruits and not identify to the form? Yes, forms, you can enjoy the forms, and you can really only truly enjoy the forms if you're not completely identified with the forms. Good. Because if you're completely identified with the forms, there's always an element of fear that the form might leave you, you mm -hmm. the situation that you have, whatever, the form might leave you, or uh, it will suddenly, the form will no longer be satisfying. So it's... The attachment to the form doesn't really mean that you enjoy it. The attachment to the form produces negativity and produces fear around it, around your life situation. It's doing, Kadata, what I said, I think, on an earlier class. It's like, especially in Los Angeles, you know, great fun, fun city, uh, city of the angels there. It's like being able to be in the world, but not of it. Yes, yes. To be and, in the world, but not of it. Yes, and a lot of that, the attachment is less likely to be there. The more present you are with any life experience, the more present you are in the moment, then you are not, you're not attached. The attachment needs future, needs more, looks to the future, is either as a threat or hope. So be as present as you can in every situation in your life, in every moment in your life. Yeah. And what you were talking about, I think, in one of the future chapters about being able to be present with your children instead yes. of just sort of going through the motions with your children, yes. being present with your children. Hey, Kadata. Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye. This is Melissa from uh, Crab Orchard, West Virginia. She says she's being awakened with worry. My sister's addicted to drugs. She's been through rehab to no avail. Every day we worry about her. We fear she may die if she continues. My question is this, how can we live awakened with this major, major distraction in our lives? That's good. Yeah. Well, the first thing, you need to take responsibility for your own life and your own state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Rather than thinking your primary responsibility is your sister's life and your sister's state of consciousness, that's not the case. You have to start with yourself. Change can only begin with yourself. Mm -hmm. So are you taking responsibility for your own state of consciousness rather than believing unconsciously that, of course, you, you're worried and there's nothing else you can do? You have to look at the, what you call the worry in yourself, the continuous mind activity that dwells on negativity, 
see if you can enter that state of acceptance or presence and just be with yourself. I recommend to get out of the mind, go into the body several times a day and connect with the feeling of aliveness within. For yourself. So that the worry, the worry pretends, worry is part of the ego, it's the compulsion to think mm -hmm. incessantly, and it serves no purpose because it, does, it doesn't get you anywhere. It's similar to the complaining, it has no useful purpose. It's not, it doesn't bring about change in any situation. No matter how much you worry, it's never the worry that brings about any change in the situation. The mind may tell you, you need to worry because it has some purpose. It doesn't. So the, the essential thing is that you get out of that unconscious habit of continuous worrying. So find a little bit of peace in yourself first to start with. And it may be more than a little bit of peace, but start with a little. Okay, is there, is there any peace in you underneath this continuous mental noise that we call worry. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else in you? And you have to find that you can only be of true service to your sister, you can only be of truly, truly be an agent for change in this world if something has changed in your state of consciousness. Otherwise you contribute to the turmoil. So find through meditating, through bringing awareness to the present moment as much as possible, through bringing awareness into the inner body, as much as possible, get out of the mind and enter presence. And realize the mind may tell you this is, you're not helping your sister. This is the beginning where you may be able to truly be of help to somebody else. Because the only thing you can do is really help yourself. Yes. That's right. Yes. But the mind tells you, I have to save my sister. Yes. And, and that's the... And what you're saying is that is not necessarily true. No. Ultimately, your sister is also responsible. It right. doesn't mean that one human being cannot help another. But you, what is essential in, when we ask whether you can be of help or not to another human being is, is there something in you that can bring about change in the consciousness of another human being. Mm -hmm. Unless some change has happened inside you, it, it can't happen. And but this may talk more generally about worry. This is the problem for many, many people. They wake up in the middle of the night worrying. During the day, they go about worrying about this or that. What does it mean to worry? What does it mean? It means there is unconscious mind movement projecting itself usually into mm -hmm. the future and you see how dreadful the future is going to be, what's going to happen. You see outcomes that are negative. Many things, of course, are never going to happen, but worry pretends to be necessary. You have to see very clearly... Worry pretends to be necessary. necessary. Oh, I but got that. You have to see that it serves no useful purpose. Yeah. Worry pretends to be necessary, yes. but serves no useful purpose. And, and so once you see that it serves no useful purpose, you can sometimes be maybe able to step out of that and see, oh, and then become present. Yeah. You can become present. If you can step out of the worry for a moment, you can be, become present enough to say, 
what can I do now? Yes. How can I be now in this moment? Yes. For myself, for my sister, or for whatever it is you need. Yes. Okay. And the greatest gift you can give to somebody, especially somebody who is uh, suffering, like your sister, when you are with them, what is your state of consciousness? Are you able to bring presence when you connect with your, with your sister or any other human being that you want to help? Can you be present with them? Can you give them space to be? That's the healing. Healing, healing. You can be an agent for healing of another, not in the sense that I am going to heal you, not believing right. that would be ego again. It's a, I'm going to heal, heal you. you. No, simply be there as a conscious space of presence, not, not wanting to do anything, just being there as a conscious presence with another person. That's very hard for people. Yes. I understand it's that's, very hard to And that's people. why we call it, the sh it's a shift from a... It's a shift. Yeah. So, and, and, but acceptance is also an important part right. of that. It's at the moment you need to accept... Stop that resisting is, it. Yes. Stop resisting Not bringing it. the resistance always into the relationship. Because and, whatever you fight, you strengthen, and what you resist persists. Yes. That's at the top of page 75. Yes. Whatever you fight, you strengthen, and what you resist persists. Why is that? Because... That's how the, by opposing, you bring, the, the, this world works in terms of polarities. So if you strengthen one polarity, you immediately strengthen the other. That's an example. Physics. Physics, okay. yes. Exactly the same. Physics. Yes. Okay. You say, because these days you frequently hear the expression, the war against this or that, and whenever you hear that, you know that it's condemned to failure. There's a war against drugs, it's crime, the war against terrorism against cancer, against poverty, and so on. And despite the war against all of these things, everything, every one of those things is bigger than ever. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. Because what you fight, you strengthen, and what you resist persists. Yes. And then the implication, of course, is there is another way of dealing with things, with situations. And that is to life. make peace with it. Make peace with it. And then action take action, the action then comes out of a different state of consciousness. The action comes out of presence. Presence. Not, it's no longer reaction. Yeah, it comes out of presence and not out of you being defensive about it. That's right. I got it. And the action is much more powerful and effective when it's not defensive and not negative. Somebody just told me this, this happens a lot, you know, with the airlines where, you know, my goodness, yes. if you can get from one, from point A to point B, on commercial airlines these days without losing your luggage or flights being canceled or sitting on the tarmac or whatever. And they were reading the book and in the midst of, you know, everything, you know, schedule for the flight. And I'm sure this has happened to many of you. Schedule for the flight, everything's fine, you get there and there's no seat, there's no seat. And people, other people didn't have their seats and people around them were just imploding and this person said that they um, decided to remain calm, as my godson, as a matter of fact, and people all around them were going nuts. And suddenly, out of nowhere, after about a half an hour, not out of nowhere, about a half an hour, the person behind the counter called the names, and of all the names they called, they called his, who had been sitting there calm. Now, they didn't know him from anybody else, but, you know, it, it eventually worked out. I'm not saying that it always works out, but he realized after reading the book that it makes no sense to get crazy. 
Yes, it's not only that, but also it's true that things are much more likely to work out when you are in a harmonious state of consciousness and not in resistance. Which brings us to page 77. Do you want peace or drama? Yes. You say, we all want peace. There's no one who doesn't want peace, yet there's something else in you that wants the drama, wants the conflict. And whenever you're moving in the drama, you, you can, as we all can, I think now, a little bit anyway, detach from the thought, see yourself having the thought, recognize that you, the you, the I of I am, is the awareness that you're having the thought. When you can see all the drama, just detach a little bit, you've done what? That's the, that's the vital thing, see, to see it in the midst of it, to suddenly become aware that this is an old pattern in yeah. you, an ego pattern in right. you. It may not even stop immediately, but at least there is an, suddenly there is a witnessing presence in the background. Yeah. That the ego wants to complain, the ego wants to be resentful, the ego wants drama. Yes. And yes. to see that in oneself, we yes. could, one could call that almost there is in, in humans something that we could call the addiction to unhappiness. Mm -hmm. When you are unhappy for whatever reason, once you are trapped in that, that energy of unhappiness, you don't want to get out. <laughs> That's right, because your ego loves it. Yes. So there is, a, there is an addiction to the, you actually, on some level, you enjoy your unhappiness, and when you can become aware of that, mm -hmm. then suddenly you're stepping out. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So let's talk about the power of awareness you talk about on page 78. A power comes into your life that is far greater than the ego, greater than the mind. All that is required to become free of the ego is to be aware of it, since awareness and ego are incompatible. This is page 78, first paragraph. Awareness is the power that is concealed within the present moment. This is why we may also call it presence, and the ultimate purpose of human existence, which is to say your purpose is to bring that power or that presence into this world. Yes. That is why we're here. Yes. The, that is the universal impulse. The universal impulse is the evolution of consciousness. That is the, the impulse behind the universe. The universe is moving towards the evolution of consciousness. And we are one manifestation of the evolution of consciousness into this world. We're one. Yes, there are many others. Right. Uh, even a, a plant is a manifestation right, of that already. Right, right, But our ultimate purpose of human existence is to bring that presence, that awareness, into the world and to become more aware in our daily lives so that, regardless of what you're doing in your form world, in your form life,
that you recognize, as you say, on page 79. Can I sense my essential beingness, the I am, in the background of my life at all times? Yes. To be more accurate, can I sense the I am that I am at this moment? Yes. And an easy step towards that is the inner acceptance of this moment as it is, mm -hmm. without wanting it to be different or rejecting it or resisting it. If you can accept, if you can see that the, the primary thing in your life is the present moment because there's never anything else. Yes. It's always now. So you must see if you can have a good relationship with the now because you don't, if you don't have a good relationship with the now, you don't have a good relationship with life because life is now. Yes. So accepting this moment as it is can connect you with that dimension of depth in yourself. And that is how we begin to quiet, quieten or quiet the ego. Yes. Is by being more fully present now. now. That's the exit out of the ego, the now. Yeah. The now is the hidden exit because the ego doesn't want you to know that that there is an exit and it's called now. Mm -hmm. Exit is the door out of the ego. Yeah. <laughs> the now is, is the door. E the exit. Yes. The now, now is the exit door. Out of the ego. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so whenever you find yourself complaining, whenever you find yourself the need to feel superior, you feel superior or inferior, inferior to someone else, you know that it's your ego. Whenever you recognize that this is my ego and can bring yourself to the present moment of what is going on now yes. and can see yourself doing it. Yes. Yeah, that is awakening. Yes. Okay. Ginger is a singer, songwriter, living in Berlin. Hello? Hi. I feel like I am aware of, of the things that I do that are, are destructive and I can't seem to stop them anyway. I feel like I label things that are bad for me and then I resist them, like eating fried food or drinking too much or relationships. I resist them and I feel like it causes a source of anxiety. And sometimes the huge decisions in my life come easily, but these little things, little decisions every day, um, they pile up and become a source of anxiety. So my question is, is um, how can we get to this inspired action and effortless doing, um, not only when it comes to the big decisions, but when it comes to making healthy choices um, in our everyday lives. Amen. Good question. Thank you, Ginger. Yes. How did, yeah, because, yeah, I was saying this to. Um, I know I'm doing it. I just do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, yeah, aren't you, yeah. Why does it have to be a struggle just to, to do the right thing in terms of, you know, for me, it's food always. It's always about food. Yes. How can it become effortless? Isn't that your question, Gin Ginger? Yeah. How, and are you talking how, about, for I, me, this would be about potato chips. What is this about for you? <laughs> for me, it's a red wine, uh, french fries. Okay. <laughs> a little red wine every now and then. And a few other things, of course, too. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. So uh, you mean when you eat french fries? And she knows that they're not so good for her. Okay. And then there's a voice in the head that says you shouldn't be eating them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nevertheless, yeah. you are eating them. Mm -hmm. A tennis match is more like it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of eating, overeating, has a lot to do with the ego also, because the ego lives in a constant state of not enough. It always seeks something else to fill itself with, and usually it's experiences to identify with this or that. Things. Things. But it's also, 
uh, it, the, the need for more, as I call it, that is built into the ego, mm -hmm. sometimes can get transferred to the body, and then you experience it as the desire to eat much more than the body really wants. It's to take in more. So really, to, to eat consciously really is the, the way out of it. For example, I would suggest that when you eat your French, French fries, fries. To, uh, <laughs> to make a meditation out of it and eat them consciously without having a secondary entity in your head that says you shouldn't be eating them. Eat them fully and consciously and at the same time feel how your body feels while you eat them and after you've eaten them. Then you bring some presence into it and you may realize in some cases that the body doesn't actually want to eat them. It was the mind that wanted to eat the uh -huh. potato. But so bring, eat consciously. If you eat a sandwich, if you feel, if you go to the fridge, uh -huh. sometimes people get uh -huh. up in the middle of the night, they open the door and, uh -huh. and you reach in and there's this need for, I need to get, yeah. the body doesn't You're trying to it. feed something. Feed something, mm -hmm. yes. And so. To me it's also, uh, it's the, the anxiety that the resistance, not just for food, but things that I label as bad for me, seem to cause a lot of anxiety in the. What he's saying is stop resisting. Actually, after reading this book, I've been trying this lately, exactly what you said. And this is what you will find if you stop resisting it, because the French fries are not bad. It's the thought in your head that has told you that the French fries are bad. And if you do what he re is recommending, if you sit and you consciously make it a meditation, what you will find is you won't eat, you know, two bags of French fries unconsciously, that you will enjoy every single French fry. And in the enjoyment and the pleasure, if you stop when it's, when it's no longer pleasurable, you know, it's, it's no longer ple pleasurable after three or four or five. By the time you've eaten a whole bag of them, you, you don't even taste it anymore. So he's saying, make it a meditation, be with it, feel it, sense it, allow your whole body to be with it, feel it, sense it, and when you're done with the pleasure of it, let it go. Yes. That is what you're saying, correct? Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. And that's with the red wine, too. Yes. <laughs> and other things as well, I, I And other things as well, when yes. I was in be my... with it, be yes. with it. When I was in my 20s, as young people do, I would often get drunk. Um, Nowadays, I still enjoy a glass of wine. Right, I you do. I enjoy it very much. Yes. Um, and I know after I've had a one glass of wine, sometimes does my body want another glass of wine? And usually, I cannot drink more than one glass. It's mm -hmm. very rare that I would drink two glasses mm -hmm. of wine because that's exactly the body says no more. So you can sense your body, it will often tell you whether it's right or not to that's eat right. or drink Well, something. that's a very good point that you just made. I just had an epiphany. Because you don't become overweight or even drunk or intoxicated as long as you are acting consciously. Yeah. It's when you become unconscious that you, be, that you eat too much, unconscious that you drink too much, unconscious is when you become obsessively indulgent yes. with things. Yes. All these addictions are unconscious. Or unconscious. Thank you. Page 78 everybody. Bottom paragraph. What is spiritual realization? The belief that you are spirit? You say no. That is a thought. 
a little closer to the truth than the thought that believes you are who your birth certificate says you are, but still a thought. So we're not spirit? No. I thought we were spirit. What is that saying, that we are spiritual beings having a human experience? Yes, that's very good. But Yes, but, but we're not spirit. No, that when we say we are spiritual beings having a human experience is not yet the realization that we are, it's the belief that we are. Oh, okay. So there is a step that goes from the belief. Belief is still, it's a mental concept. It's a little closer, as I say, to believing that you are your, what your birth certificate says you are. Yes. But it's not the realization. No thought that you have about yourself is realization. Okay, well, this is another thing. You know, a lot of people are still very conflicted about this uh, spirituality and their religion. Mm. And what I hear you saying, feel you saying in this book is, is that this book isn't about believing. No. This book is about what you come to know for yourself. Yes. Yeah, what you become to feel for yourself. Yes. And that what you're saying is that God, in the essence of all consciousness, isn't something to believe. God is. Yes. God is. And God is a feeling experience, not a believing experience. That's right. And if, the, and if, you're, if that your religion is a believing experience, if God for you is still about a belief, then it's not truly God. No. That's what you're saying. Yes. The, okay. the, the best, uh, at best, to believe is a transitional thing. That yes. from from there you go on to the realization that there is no separation between you and God, between you and the source of life. Mm -hmm. That you are one with the source, and you cannot realize that through believing. Thinking. It's not a belief. It's not a thought. It's not a thought. It's a direct realization within yourself, and it's there in the gap between two thoughts, suddenly. That's right. Oh. And conceptually, you may not know anymore. You may not have an opinion of who you are anymore. And yet, at a very deep level, there's a knowing that cannot be put into words. So, what is spiritual realization? The belief that you are spirit? No, that's a thought. Closer to the truth than the thought that believes you are who you are, or that your birth certificate says you are, but still a thought. Spiritual realization is to see clearly. On the bottom of page 78, everybody, spiritual realization is to see clearly that what I perceive, experience, think, or feel is ultimately not who I am, that I cannot find myself in all those things that continuously pass away. Yes. So. You are the space for all those things. You are the consciousness, mm -hmm. the awareness, in which all those things, experiences, sense perceptions, thoughts, mm -hmm. emotions, mm -hmm. come, they appear. You are, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. That means you are the consciousness in which the world appears, is seen. And the consciousness itself has no form. It is formless and it is has nothing to do with time. It is the dimension of the timeless in yourself. Eternity is the religious term for it. Okay. For most religious people, when you, they use eternity, it's a very abstract concept. Right. Eternity, what do I do with that? Or they believe it's continuous time that never ends. That would mm -hmm. be extremely boring if you were eternity and there's no end to time, it would become very boring. <laughs> 
I wouldn't want two things to go on forever in my life, to go on forever, ever, ever. But finding the timeless dimension is a very different thing in yourself. Timelessness is very different than eternity, as you're saying. I the, the true meaning of eternity is timelessness. It's timeless. It's usually misinterpreted as meaning endless uh, on time. On and on and on and on. Yeah. I got that. So it, there is in every human being, underneath all the stream of thinking and underneath the emotions, there is that dimension where timelessness or eternity dwells. And that is the essence of who you are. And that is consciousness itself. And you can know it by realizing that you are the space for whatever happens in your life. Mm. Space of consciousness. Deep. I must say that's pretty deep there, Eckhart. We're on page 80, everybody. One of my favorite quotes in the entire book. Only the truth of who you are if realized, will set you free. Yes, yes. Know who you are and you're free. But know who you are doesn't mean that suddenly you have an answer in your head. There's a stillness, and in that stillness, when you accept that you don't know who you are, as I say somewhere in the book, mm -hmm. when you completely accept that you've realized all the things that you thought you were is not really who you are, and then you come to a point where you don't know who you are. And if you can fully accept that you don't know who you are, you're closer to who you are than you were ever before. Once you realize and accept that all structures, page 81, forms are unstable, even the seemingly solid material ones, peace arises within you. This is because the recognition of the impermanence of all forms awakens you to the dimension of the formless within. Yes. That's what you're calling timelessness. Yes. That which is beyond death, Jesus called it eternal life. Eternal life. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So you believe what happens to us at death when the body dies? I you don't, don't have a belief. I don't give it any thought. You don't? No. Well, did you ever <laughs> think about it, Eckhart? Like, uh... <laughs> I know that the essence of who I am, which is the essence of who you are, is indestructible. Uh, I know that directly as a on a feeling level and you can also know it even if you talk to a physicist he will tell you that energy never gets destroyed it can only change transform. forms mm -hmm. so whatever it is that animates this physical form at some point whatever it is that animates this physical form is going to no longer animate this form and that is when you see a dead body and when you see a dead body, you see, I, a, a year and a half ago, both my parents died within a space of a few months. And I saw very clearly, I, each time I, I saw that my mother's body lying there, a few months later, I saw my father's body lying in the coffin. And I realized the form was still there, but the, the essence of that being was not present, so the, so the essence of their being was never the form. It was gone, it was no longer there. And then when, the, when that which animates the form... The essence of that being was never the form. Was never. The essence of that Be being inhabited the form. Yes, because... And now it no longer inhabited yes, the form. Yes, so you could see there was only a shell there. Right. And that was, it's such a clear realization. Yeah, All... many people who've seen their loved ones in the casket see that. Yes. So that which was the, that the, the life within that form was always invisible. 
All you could ever see was the form. Maybe you could sense the life within ah. the form, but the, the life is always invisible. And the life ultimately has no form itself. Mm. And so you see, suddenly somebody dies, the essence is gone, the life within the form mm -hmm. is gone. So what you're saying, again, on page 79, is to be able to be in form mm -hmm. and be able to sense the formlessness yes. of yourself. Yes. To be in form and to sense that there is an essential beingness or formlessness, formlessness the I am in the background of our life at all times. Yes. And that awareness, that formlessness, is what can, can um, hear, see, sense the thoughts yes. that are going on all the time. And there's a little space, just a space, between the thoughts and the awareness of the thoughts. Yes. And that is where we, I, reside. Yes, you are the awareness, you are consciousness appearing as a person for a little while, but in essence, you are consciousness, and consciousness is, as consciousness, you are timeless. You are eternal in the sense of timeless. And when the form itself is lying there in the casket, that timeless formlessness has gone where? Transform to have, either to join with the source, mm -hmm. or to go through further experiences of the experiences of awakening. Mm. In ways that our mind cannot even comprehend. No. Okay. Before we say goodbye, I want to thank all of you around the world for making this remarkable experience uh, possible. So what did you want to say in conclusion about the core of the ego? The core of the ego? The ego, sometimes we look at it as if it were an entity, mm -hmm. but really it's just a form of unconsciousness. It appears to be an entity sometimes. Uh, it is not threatening, never regard it as an enemy or, or something that you need to get rid of. It's only to be recognized for what it is. Mm -hmm. So, and then the ego has fulfilled its purpose. It has taken you to that point of awakening. So, in order to awaken, humans have, uh, were in the state of oneness with the source when they first came here, and then they lost themselves. They lost mm. themselves in thinking, they lost themselves in the mind, they lost themselves in the ego. And then they reached the stage where the, this state of being lost produces so much suffering that the, this dream of life becomes a nightmare and they start waking up in this the stage that we have reached now. So when we, as we wake up, we regain the state that we once had, that we, want, we lost the state of oneness with life, oneness So we're waking with God, up now. Oneness with the source. Mm -hmm. But when we regain it, we regain it at a deeper level because we are conscious of it now. Wonderful. Thank you. Next week, we talk about role-playing all the many uh, faces of the ego, how so many of us believe that we are the roles that we play. Thanks, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.